You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Well, I want to be the first to tell you Christmas is coming. Only 364 more days. Like, I can, I can just envision it. Think about it. The baking, right? Those butter tarts that we just get that time of year. Um, uh, the, the going out for shopping. You know, the malls might be a little busy, but there's kind of that air of excitement in the air. Christmas carols, like Oh Holy Night. That's my all-time favorite song. Not just Christmas song, but all-time favorite song of any genre. All that stuff. Uh, school will be out. Uh, work's going to slow down. Are you excited? Christmas is coming. (laughs) And how do we know that Christmas is coming? Because we've experienced it before, and it's set. The schedule is set. It's going to happen again. And so we can look forward to Christmas. Okay, so we're going to get back to living life in view of what's to come in a moment. But I do want to ask you, how was your Christmas? And so I want to do a little straw poll. Come on, this will be the interaction part, the engagement part. How many, you know, hands up if you're a Christmas Eve-er? Oh, few. How many are Christmas morningers? And some of you didn't do Christmas at all, it looks like. <laughs> How many of you do turkey? How many do some alternate thing that might even be meat? Cool. There we go. Lots of different tr- traditions, right? Uh, did you get what you wanted? And did you get to spend some time with the people that you wanted. Uh, how about um, Christmas decorations in the tree? Is it coming down in the next couple of days or closer to New Year's? There we go. All right. Maybe you're a little bit um, still on the Christmas buzz, and maybe you're a little bit uh, the after wave of that. Maybe you're feeling a little bit like the Sunday morning after the resurrection. That was an emotional high for the past couple of days. But now we're getting back down to business. There's some details to take care of, and off we go. And maybe that's the way you've come this morning or you're watching online. Um, but, but maybe, just maybe, there's a resurrection surprise in store for all of us. I want you to open your Bibles to uh, Luke 2.36. And by the way, I think I've arrived. I think it was last Sunday, Melvin, when you spoke. Sunday or two, somewhere in the last week or two. Uh, Melvin read from the scripture, and he stumbled a little bit because of your eyesight. And uh, so this is the first time I've actually brought glasses up to speak. Um, So Luke 2, 36. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand if you don't have one with you because there's ushers and they'll get one in your hands. Here at Hope, we like a Bible to be in your hands. If you don't own a Bible, you can take this one home with you. If you're watching online and don't own a Bible, please just go to the connection card and we'll get you a Bible. Um, But we like one. If you own a Bible and it's not here with you today, you can borrow one, but would you bring that um, uh, the next Sunday that, that you uh, are here and join us? We're going to continue with this series, this insignificant significance, um, ordinary people crowning the king. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Melvin talked about Elizabeth and Zechariah, God in the darkness, and God is still at work in the darkness. Last Sunday, it was Simeon. That was verses 25 to 35, which is just before the the three verses we're going to look at today. And that was beholding God and what living right before God looks like. And so today we're going to look at Anna the prophetess. 
living on God's promises. Or I could have uh, perhaps entitled it, Fear God and Wait for the Lord. And just before we uh, read this whopping long passage of three verses, um, I have a friend, a good friend, Ken, who lives uh, elsewhere in the interior. And uh, we text each other back and forth. We share life. We share prayer requests, things like that. A very good friend. And so I texted him a few weeks back and said, here's the passage that I'm uh, going to be speaking on and looking at that. And then uh, about a week later, I got a text from him that said this, um, just thinking of your sermon prep, looked at the passage again. Not sure I could get 30 plus minutes out of that section. God bless. <laughs> so I want to thank, thank you, Meldon, for the assignment. Yeah. So, so let's read uh, Luke 2, verses 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Here's my question for you this morning. What are you doing without? And how long have you been doing without that? We're going to look at Anna. Melton reminded us last week um, that it had been over 400 years since the Jewish nation had heard from God with, as far as anything new. And both Matthew and Luke, who we've just read from here, both of their Gospels include a genealogy that talks that goes way back uh, about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ. And one goes all the way back to um, uh, David, who was the king, and one goes all the way back to uh, Abraham, who was the father of their nation, and each of them presenting um, a different look. Jesus the Christ, through whom all the nations would be blessed. And as something of a proof point, I guess, to that, the genealogies include four women who were uh, either Gentiles, non-Jews, or the uh, husband of a Gentile. And so our, our story today presents us with this woman, Anna, who would have been an ordinary woman um, of that day. And in her example, we're going to see three ways that ordinary people crown the king. One is by being faithful through life circumstances. And I'm going to ask you the question, have you been preoccupied with life circumstances or with God's calling? And then we'll see you can crown, the ordinary people can crown the king by expressing thanks and speaking of him. And the question that we would chew on is, do you thank God and do you tell other people of the Savior? And then we're going to look at, you can crown him king by awaiting redemption within God's remnant. And so the question is, will you be faithful until the end? But first, what do we know about this woman? Uh, the Luke 2 passage that we just read is the only scriptural record of her. Anna, that name means favor or grace. It's the same name as Hannah of the Old Testament. And you might remember, Hannah was the mother of Samuel. There's another woman of note in Scripture who was, had a longing in her heart, and she brought that to her God. Uh, Anna is noted as the daughter of Phanuel. Now, that's the same name as Penuel, which means the face or vision of God. 
Penuel was the place, the very place that Jacob wrestled with God. Think that through in the circumstances of his life, wrestled with God all night long, and he was changed forever as a result of that. Anna is noted as a prophetess. She's only one of two prophetesses noted, would that be prophetai, prophetesses, noted uh, in the New Testament. The other one is a negative, it's a false prophet. So what does prophesy mean? It just means to declare a divine message. Sometimes that was foretelling of something to come, and sometimes, uh, sorry, foretelling, and sometimes it was forthtelling. Just thus says the Lord. This is a truth of God. Sometimes prophesying was done in music, just like the music team can prophesy. There's a couple examples of that in the Old Testament uh, by just declaring, proclaiming the word of God. Anna is therefore included in this long line of prophets, those people who heralded the coming Messiah. Now we read that she was getting on in age. Stricken of age, I think was the term used uh, um, uh, as in, the, in the King James. But uh, she would have been likely married in her early teens, would have been the norm of that day. And then it says she was married for seven years before her husband died. So probably somewhere in her early 20s, she's now a widow. And uh, a reference here, some scholars think she was a widow for 84 years, which would put her over 100. But certainly the way the ESV presents it, she was at least 84 years old, and so probably a widow for 60 years uh, of her life. But although she had buried the love of her life, she had not buried the hope that she had in God. Rather, she actually gave more of herself to God regularly at the temple, serving by fasting and praying, thanking God, telling others about Him. That's what she ended up doing, a widow of great age, a devout worshiper of the living God, proclaiming the prophetic word, and then we see her also becoming a missionary uh, where she's telling others. I want to ask you, can you see her this morning in your mind's eye, what she would have been like? And maybe her heart expression as she would go up daily was something like this, the world waits for a miracle. The heart longs for a little bit of hope. Oh, come. Oh, come. Emmanuel, see her just bowed there. A child prays for peace on earth, and she's calling out from a sea of hurt. Oh, come. Oh, come, Emmanuel. So first up, what we're going to look at is when ordinary people crown the king, they do it by being faithful through life circumstances. Have you been preoccupied with life circumstances, or with God's calling. We've got Anna, Anna here, a widow of decades, likely 60 plus years she was a widow. If you did the math, she would have been a widow nine times longer than she was married. We've got Annas within our Hope family. We've got Shannon, who serves us all as a staffer. We've got Al who weekly provides recordings to the Sunday service to those who aren't physically able to be here or can't take this in online. We've got Erna, who recently said goodbye to her Earhart and now needs us to be praying for her for her ongoing uh, health. There's Sharon and Rose and Martha and others who have lost a spouse, but they continue to fight well 
in, in their faith. We've got those living without a spouse in the home. We've got those whose intimate time with their great provider for years has been expressing a longing desire to have a spouse. We've got those that feel the void of a spouse who does not share faith in Jesus Christ. And dear married, uh, unmarried one, don't be tempted. You don't want to be a widow in your marriage or a widower. But here's Anna, no social services available, no safety net, no uh, community um, hall to go to or, or uh, a, a process or a program to apply for resources and help. Um, she had none of that. And as we read this account, we don't find Anna looking to satiate some sense of, of self-need by finding someone that understands her or someone to commiserate with. Um, we don't find her articulating, you know, tuning into some articulate TED Talk uh, life story. No Facebook to impose her opinion on others or to babone life. No Instagram to say, look at what my life is like. Uh, nor Enneagram to find herself and just the way, justify the way she felt. She had no subscription to sappy, trite um, sayings and quotes for a daily pickup. We don't see her getting together with her neighbors for happy hour and imbibing the world's wisdom and ways. We don't find her doing any of that. Rather, she's an older woman, a woman stricken in years, who went before God every day in her life. She went to the place where others of the like faith gathered and, and worshipped the same God. I wonder if she might have expressed Psalm 89. She would have known Psalm 89. How long, O oh Lord... Will you hide yourself forever? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Can you see this aged woman, likely of low means, daily going to the temple, daily fasting and praying, staying grounded, staying focused on her God, and yet at the same time this deep yearning, pounding in her chest and a plea for herself, no. for the fulfillment of the promise. Can you hear her? Maybe she uh, said things like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from the depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. O come, thou dayspring, from on high, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadow put to flight. O come, thou key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. O come, Adonai, Lord of might, woe to thy tribes on Sinai's height. In ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. The application that we want to consider from Anna we ought not to be James 1 people. We don't want to look in God's word today 
and not be a doer? Am I preoccupied with my life circumstances or with the calling of God on my life? What would you have said to Anna? Good on you, Anna. Stiff upper lip. What would you say to yourself or to your friends or your family in circumstances like that? The answer to the question of whether you're preoccupied with your life circumstances or the calling in your life is actually found in your conversations with other people and in your Facebook or social media posts, including, and perhaps more so, in your Christian groupie. Like, it's us and Jesus against the government. Or, woe is us for the weather that spoiled my garden party. Or that guy cut me off in traffic. Or I had to wait over an hour in the doctors. Or my food was cold, my dog is sick, taxes are going up. No one likes me, everyone hates me, so I'm going to eat some worms. Circumstances or calling. Ask those closest to you who know you the best, what do they know more about? Your circumstances or your calling before God? Circumstances or calling. My goodness, there are some terrible life circumstances. There are, no question. Like a 53-year-old faithful Conrad who dies the day before his son's 23rd birthday. Like Corrine leaving behind Cody. Like a wayward child or the relentless waves of a virus, or more, than, more of a month to go than there is paycheck. See, that's all the more reason to cast ourselves on the truth of Jesus, who says to us in the midst of our understandable subjectivity, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Be yoked by my side, and you'll find rest for your soul. See, the Christmas Jesus is mighty God, but he's also the Prince of Peace. And in the midst of the very real labor, the very real heavy loads, the very real storms of life within our physical existence, you see, our soul or our spiritual existence, well, He replaces it with that which is easy and light and restful. What about your calling? 1 Corinthians 1 says that you've been called. 1 John 2 says you've been anointed. In Isaiah 6, 61, if you're anointed with Christ, then you would read this of yourself. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news and to proclaim liberty, to comfort, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Five days from now, five days from now, what will you say about 2021? And what version of Happy New Year will you be proclaiming? Will it be something like, well, boy, sarcastically, that was fun, and I hope 2022 is different? Or will it be the year of the Lord's favor, regardless of circumstances? Some Bibles title Psalm 78 as, tell the coming generation. This is what it says. He establishes a testimony in one generation to teach their children that the next generation might know them, even the children yet unborn. Arise and tell the children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. It's kind of like this morning having a grandson here, for me, who couldn't wait to hear his papa preach. Third John says, I have no greater joy than what? 
to know your children walk in truth. These are the callings on your life. The people in your life, starting with children, shame on us in North America where 80% of children who go to church with their parents will stop going to church as they become teen, or late teens and into their 20s. Think about that, your children. 80% will stop attending church. And we don't get off by saying, well, I don't have any children, or my children are grown. Every Sunday, faithful servants are downstairs, not doing daycare, and out in the clubhouse. They're imp imparting the gospel to children so that these young minds might set their hope in God. Jesus said, don't, don't, don't hinder the children from coming to me. And as much as you do it to the least of these, you're doing it to me. So ordinary people crown him king by being faithful through life circumstances. And next, they do it by expressing thanks to God and telling and speaking about him. So do you thank God and do you tell others about the Savior? And why is it important to, do, to thank God anyways? To bless him, to give him glory. Well, check out Ezekiel 16 sometime and see what God's record is of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Might surprise you. And when we get to Romans chapter 1, and it starts off by saying they were neither were they thankful, and from there goes a whole list of sins that happen as a result of that. And chapter 4 is a great chapter of Romans and the recap of Abraham. And think about his life circumstances and the unfavorable uh, life that he found himself in. And by the time you get to verse 20 of chapter 4, he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. I want you to write that one down. That is the key takeaway, the spiritual nugget from today's message. This is Anna's life. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Which one of us here this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, which one of us, my apologies, which one of us here this morning, um, if you're online, doesn't want your faith to grow stronger? Right? Well, here's the solution. Give glory to God. Have you got my sound? We're good? Good. Um, that's the takeaway. That's what we're going to walk away with today. Give glory to God and you will grow in faith. Aaron read from Isaiah 8 and 9. Sometimes I think we've got 3D, and I don't mean three-dimensional. We've got 3D eyesight. And if you read in Isaiah, you would have that. Distress, darkness, depression. And what dismantles that? Right, as we get into chapter 9. Well, chapter 9 triumphantly speaks about our way being glorious of a great shining, uh, a light shining on us, of joy and gladness, of being prosperous in life, of having victory over battles. How? Well, by believing in verse 6, God incarnate, Emmanuel's coming. Because God's presence changes everything. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. So, and then what do you tell others about your Savior? What is the gospel that you thank God for and then share with other people? And last week, Melvin gave us counsel that we ought to be prepared. Have that gospel. Know it and be able to share that. And he gave us a couple examples. For me, it's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. That's my number one go-to when I think about the gospel. But you can think of uh, Romans 10 and others. But in 1 Corinthians 15, so I'm going to ask you this morning whether this is what you believe. Because it says here, I want to remind you people 
This is the gospel. If you receive it, stand on it, and hold fast to it. And what is it? I deliver up to you the most important thing. Here it is. Christ died for your sins. The Messiah died for you, a sinner. Christ was buried. He paid the full penalty of sin, which is death, separation from God. And that Christ was raised again. He was victorious over sin. He, he satisfied the claims of sin and the payment of sin to the point that he could be raised from the dead. That's how you go to heaven. If you receive it, stand on it, and hold fast to it. Jesus died for you, a sinner, paid the full penalty, and rose again victorious. Why do we even evangelize? Why bother? Well, because he's the only hope of salvation in the whole world. Acts 4 says, there's no other name given under heaven amongst people whereby you can be saved, period. And so here's Anna, thanking God and telling others. And maybe she said something like this, glory to the light of the world. Glory, the light of the world is here. He is song for the suffering. He's Messiah, the Prince of Peace has come. For all who wait, for all who hunger, for all who've prayed, for all who wonder, behold your King, behold Messiah. Come and see what God has done. The story of amazing love. The light of the world given for us. Son of God and Son of Man. There before the world began. Born to suffer, born to save. Born to raise us from the grave. Christ the everlasting Lord. He shall reign forevermore. That's what we share uh, with people. So ordinary people crown him king by being faithful through life circumstances. Secondly, by expressing thanks and speaking of him. And then thirdly, by awaiting redemption within God's remnant. Will you be faithful until the end? Meldon also shared last week about the remnant, talked about that a little bit. It's a reoccurring characteristic within the nation of Israel all through their, their history. And Hebrews 11, think about remnant, what it means. It just means something's left. Could be Noah and his family. Could be Lot and his family. Elijah and so on. Isaiah, others. Hebrews 11 talks about some of the remnant never even got to see the promise. They died before the promise came. And Romans speaks of the remnant. In chapter 9, it's a reference to Isaiah 10. And it says, a remnant will return, no more trusting in that which became an oppression. You see, they trusted in another nation that became an oppressor. So they were trusting in something that they could see, which became oppression to them. Rather, they will lean on the Lord, the Holy One, in truth. They will return to the mighty God. Though they be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant shall return. I can't help but think about the, the similarities, perhaps, to our world today. Mainstream evangelicalism over, say, the last 50, 60 years. Maybe you could almost argue in North America, it was almost like the sands of the sea, right? Thousands, millions of, of people uh, uh, stating that they were evangelical. But I wonder, within that, is there really just a remnant that lean on the Lord in truth? In Romans 11, it talks about a reference to 1 Kings 19 when Elijah was all alone, and he was despondent. He was just one voice, and yet God blessed him and said, Elijah, I'm going to show you 7,000 others. It's still just a remnant, but you're not alone. 
and nor was um, Anna. And let's not forget that a remnant is not a condition of defeat. It's actually a condition of success. It is a yea and amen to God that there is a remnant. This gospel does work. People are redeemed, and the Spirit uh, empowers them to continue on and be followers. So which are you? Are you a remnant? One of the remnant, hanging on till the end. Are you part of those who are just Christian in name only? But really, in reality, you're leaning on that which oppresses you? Or are you those that lean into God on truth? Which are you? God, forgive me for the lukewarm, apathetic, defeatist persona that I too often uh, portray. God accomplishes his purposes through remnants. He's not caught flat-footed. He's not caught by surprise. He's not defeated. On the contrary, Romans 11 tells us about that remnant. Even though most of Israel forsook, didn't hang in there, that because of that, or as part of God's plan, he then used that to reach out to you and I. If it was not for that, would salvation have come to the Gentile or the non-Jew? And then, as we are a remnant and hang in and, and live the gospel, then the nation of Israel one day is going to look at that and go, that's right, and come back and be restored uh, to what it is and to what God had intended for them. Jesus told us it's going to be about a few that make it to heaven, that get to heaven. It's not about making it, but we'll get to heaven. It is only a few that go through the narrow gate and on the challenging road, that the majority indeed are plotting their way to hell, and that's not going to change. So what does a remnant life look like? Hebrews 11 tells us that by faith Moses, by faith Moses refused to accept the privilege or demand the rights afforded to him by the virtue of, the, of his home and government. He refused it. He chose the misfortunes of being identified with the people of God rather than enjoy the very real pleasures of, of um, where he lived. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of his time and place. He was looking to reward that was beyond life. This life that we have is full of strife. I was reading, it's estimated anywhere from 150 million to a billion people have died in wars. That's just from wars in the history of man. And yet we're assured that one day all bullying and all racism and all inequality is going to be gone. Revelation 21 says that there will be no more tears. So how do we get from masses and millions, billions of people that have died from all kinds of causes to there's never going to be another hurt or sorrow or tear or death ever again? How is that going to happen? Malachi, that last book of the Old Testament, in fact, the last sentence of Malachi, depending on the translation you read, says this, that the world is subjected to a curse. Revelation 21, the last chapter of the Bible, says there will be no more curse. Where'd the curse go? From Malachi to Revelation. Well, in Galatians, in chapter 4, chapter 3, we read, read this, Christ redeemed us from the curse. How? By becoming a curse, because everyone that hangs on a tree is cursed. Malachi, there will be a curse in the world. Revelation, the curse is gone. 
Where is it gone? Christ took our curse. Emmanuel. First as a baby. That's already happened. Who lived this holy and perfect life, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He's came once and he's coming again. The first time he came in humility, and the next time he's coming in authority. And the remnant holds on. Hang in there, people. One of my favorite passages in scriptures is Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time, can you see Anna thinking, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, right? Romans 5, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, in the fullness of time, he came. And in due time, he died for you. And just like his first coming, it's going to be the same for his second coming. In um, 1 Thessalonians 5, we read, it's going to be like a thief in the night. No one announces that. He just shows up. Or it's going to be like child labor, right? One moment, you're fine. And the next moment, the pangs set in. That's what it's going to be like. And that's why the Bible says, if you're here today and don't know Christ that way, if he is not your Messiah, that's why the Bible says today, today, not tomorrow, not a New Year's resolution. Today is the day, is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. So as I read the story of Anna and the insignificant, significant stories of Scripture, it occurs to me that's exactly what God is like. He notices the unnoticed. He uses those that are aged to do wonderful things. He brings hope when all hope is, seems lost. He provides light in the darkness. Think about insignificant Mary who knew the law of Moses. She was engaged to be married. What if she had discounted, sort of thought, I don't think that was really Gabriel. And I don't know if that message was from Jehovah. And I don't know that a Holy Spirit can come upon me. What if she considered the impossibility that the very Son of God would be the one in her womb? What if she, like Moses, said, not I? What about Simeon? What if he had discounted that that was the Holy Spirit? and told him when he was younger. What if on that very day, just ahead of the passage we read in Luke 2, what if on that very day, and he was moved by the Holy Spirit, he said, you know, I'm kind of old, and I think a few more minutes in bed would be good. It's not my day for temple duty. Or a thousand other excuses. What if Anna didn't live faithfully every day, going to church, fasting and praying? What if insignificant you and I don't recognize the voice of our Father, the presence of Jesus, or the nudging of the Holy Spirit. I'm busy. There's family, there's work, there's things to do, there's soapboxes to get up on and spout off about something, right? There's savings to accumulate. Or like Mary and Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna, what if we chose to cooperate with God and participate in what He was doing in the world, right? We're 2,000 years later, we're halfway around the world. Is it no? I can't hear you, Lord. Or is it, yes, here I am, Lord. Send me. As Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Does Anna's life inspire you, your mind and heart? What are you being invited to cooperate with God about? It might be something small. It might be really insignificant. And it might be mind-boggling, um, uh, unimaginable. We've all heard the saying, it's the little things that count. 
like a three centimeter, $2 cotter pin that maybe you can't see online or see in the back. How insignificant is that? Let me take you back to 2005 in BC Ferries. Amongst their 37 ferries and 47 terminals, with 22 million passengers that they helped that year, the 8 million vehicles they carried, the $565 million in revenue, the $763 million in assets that they had. That's back in 2005. Their second largest ferry at the time, 7,000 ton vessel that was worth $150 million, just had a $35 million refurbish and off it sailed. And 17 days later, it plowed into Marina and took out, I think, 28, destroyed or damaged 28 other vessels and put at risk the 544 passengers that were on board. All because a cotter pin was not put back in the engine house. What if this insignificance, if that insignificant thing can be used for so much good or to prevent so much harm, can you imagine what the overseer of your soul can do with your acts of faith? I want to close and remind us that, um, so let's see if I can find the last page. We'll close in prayer here in a moment, but God is calling us to act in faith. He's calling us to be an Anna, to fast and pray, and to, and to gather with God's people, and to uh, exalt the name of Jesus, and to tell others about him. And as I pray, I'm really just going to pray a prayer that um, is a song. And so join me as I pray. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. O Lord, from our fears and sins, would you release us and let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and, and consolation was the hope of all the earth. And Father, we know it can be the desire of every nation and it can be the joy of every longing heart. Father, your son was born to deliver. He was born a child and yet he was a king. And he was born to reign in us forever. And now, your gracious kingdom, would you bring? By your own eternal spirit, would you rule in our hearts alone? By your sufficient merit, could you raise us to the glorious throne? You draw the hearts of shepherds. You draw the hearts of kings. Even as a baby, Jesus, you changed everything. And now you call me to your kingdom. And you did that as a child before you could speak. And as a baby, you were reaching out for me. And so, Father, now as a church, we are waiting the day of your return when every eye will see you as heaven comes to earth. Until the sky is opened, until the trumpet sounds, the bride is getting ready, the church is singing out. For the, Father, for your sake, we pray that. Amen. And now as, the, as, uh, as um, Darren and Haley come back up, I want to give you the rest of the story. And now for the rest of the story. That was a phrase that was made popular by a radio host, Paul Harvey. Well, now for the rest of the story. Jesus said, I will come. Check. 
Jesus said, I will die. Check. Jesus said, I will resurrect. Check. And Jesus said, I will be back. Church, get ready. Get ready with all your insignificance. Bring your widow's mites. Bring your boys' lunches. Have at the ready your cups of cold water. Be ready with that mustard seed of faith that you have. Right? Bring your cotter pins. Bring your tired. Bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Bring your doubts and bring your fears. Bring your hurt and bring your tears. And no matter, no matter how long you've been waiting, for whatever you've been waiting for, no matter what's going on outside there and all around us, greater is the one who is living in you than he who is living in the world. The king came once. He's coming back. Will you join me as I join Anna? And coming up at this very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for redemption out of this world. Amen.